Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com and brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Sabrina, and I'm here this morning with Kim and Marilyn. And we're going to talk about umbrella schools. What's an umbrella school? An umbrella school is a usually a um, an entity that liaisons with the state so that you don't have to go to a state person to do your reviews. Mm. Um, is probably the main thing an umbrella school is, but it can have a lot of different forms as well. Accountability. Yeah. Accountability is yeah. the big one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is something that we um, sometimes think about in elementary and middle school and we better think about in high school. Accountability is, is really important. And there are a few homeschoolers out there, I suppose, who are just really on top of things and super disciplined and diligent and all that. But for the rest of us, like me, for example, um, being a part of some group of people who are helping to hold one another accountable is incredibly valuable in high school. And like, I know Kim has felt that way too, right? Preach it. <laughs> yeah. I knew when we started homeschooling that that was going to be my biggest challenge. I know that I have ADD off the charts and I know that I'm very distractible and that sort of thing. And I knew that organization and structure and that kind of thing was going to be really challenging for me. And I, I was right. So <laughs> I was actually thinking on my way here this morning how grateful I am to God for putting Marilyn and Sabrina and Vicki um, and Sarah and Allison in my life because they really helped fill in the gaps where I couldn't do things well and help me keep on track. Mm -hmm. And every one of my kids will say, some of them more enthusiastically than others, <laughs> um, how grateful they are that we were a part of this umbrella school. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the six of us at Seven Sisters Homeschool.com, where you are the seventh sister, uh, we were all a part of our local umbrella school, which is called Mount Sophia Academy. And in varying capacities, um, all of us had our kids taking classes there. We each taught various classes there. That is where a lot of the curriculum that we began publishing at Seven Sisters came from. We were creating it for classes that we wanted to offer in our local community. And then um, some of us uh, stepped into heavy-duty administrative roles there. And Marilyn has been the principal at Mount Sophia since its inception. And the key was, ago? yeah, 1998. <laughs> there we go. Since Actually, 1996. 1998 was our first graduating oh, class. Oh, there you go. Wow. wow. Yeah. Vicki was academic time. advisor there for many, many years. Barb Varnell, who has done several podcasts here on the Homeschool High School podcast, is the current um, academic advisor. Um, Seven Sister Allison was the school secretary and other duties as required person for, <laughs> for many, many years. Um, Sarah has, has taught and done mm -hmm. bookkeeping stuff, and, and Al Kim has taught and is student, student, uh, liaison. What's your name? student liaison. There we go. Um, yeah, and I hung around there some too. So all of us <laughs> Just a really practice what we're preaching here. So what, what we want to offer you today is a little bit of um, a a glance at what some of the benefits are of being involved in a local, in real life um, umbrella school, and also some of the ways that you can train yourself to be a good member family, even if you are not teaching there or um, in administration there, even if you just have your kids enrolled in classes, what are some of the things that make it work well? Now, Mount Sophia is a pretty large group yes. now. So let's 
back up just a little bit, mm-hmm. and of course, all of our experiences with Mount Sophia Academy, some of this is going to be specific for that, I suppose, or general. Um, Mount Sophia Academy is geared mainly towards high school, so the accountability in high school is a lot different than elementary or even oh, middle yeah. school. And we are the liaison with the state. We do recommendations for college. We provide transcripts, have a, you know, do diplomas, have a graduation. So that is part of what we do. Um, The other part is we offer classes two times a week. So we're a hybrid school. We used to call it college model before university model became a real thing. thing. Some people Um, call them day schools in other parts of the country because you just go for a day. A day or two. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so we have classes two days a week, and we offer a lot of high school classes, especially the ones that parents are uncomfortable teaching themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's two parts of this. There's the being a good part of the umbrella part, and there's the being a good family uh, in, in the classes part, which... Mm-hmm. Um, is a little bit different, but not totally. Yeah. Well, well, let's start with the umbrella part, the accountability, mm-hmm. the liaison with the state, the oversight for high school really being high school. What are, what are good ways to make that successful? Communication oh. is probably the top mm-hmm. thing on our list for both parts of the umbrella school experience. People who don't read their emails and don't keep up with what is going on are the bane of our existence. Email. Won't you please check your email? (laughs) We even wrote a song for it to help people understand how important it is. Um, Most of the people working at an umbrella school are also currently homeschooling their own students, and they don't have time to be chasing you. Right. Mm-hmm. They need you to take your part and to be responsible for your part of your student's education. Most of us now have graduated our last one, so it's a little bit different, but we still have other responsibilities as right. well. Well, and we talk on the podcast all the time about helping our kids in high school begin to take ownership mm-hmm. of their education, begin to take responsibility for some of the record keeping, um, begin to work on time management so that mom is not just doing all of that for them. And what's funny is that, unfortunately, there are a lot of parents who haven't quite grabbed onto that <laughs> idea for themselves. And if you're homeschooling, you need to be taking ownership and responsibility. And that's where this this communicate or over-communicate thing comes in. That if you're working with someone who's going to serve as a liaison between you and the state, if you're working with an organization that's going to help provide accountability, they're not doing it for you. They're working with your homeschool. The homeschool is still yours. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You are still the main parent for your student, but the, you're also accountable to the, the homeschool mm-hmm. umbrella. Mm-hmm. So there's that going on. So communication is definitely probably the top on mm-hmm. our list. Both ways. Reading what is sent out and then communicating effectively with the school if there are issues or something that needs to change, not waiting till, oh, by the way, I need a driver's ed letter. Oh, yeah, an hour from now. <laughs> because we're not sitting there ready to handle that every minute of every day. We're probably only in the office a couple of days a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's there's an illusion too. Usually, um, umbrella schools have fees associated with them, and maybe called tuition even. And um, if you really are are not um, if you're not ever on the administrative end of it, if you don't ever see where those dollars have to go, you may be under the impression that you're paying a lot of money and so things should just be happening for you. And you're really not paying a lot of money and the people who are getting teeny little pittance, thank you amounts of money, um, are not making a living no. out of, of this. This is anyone who is helping to run an umbrella school or a day school is doing it as a labor of love. They're doing it as a calling from God. They're doing it because they so believe in encouraging and supporting families who want to homeschool their families through high school. And this is not to put them on pedestals and say that they're perfect. It's just to say that they are not getting rich off of this. And sometimes you've paid a couple hundred dollars for your dues for the year for, uh, you know, portfolio reviews or something. And that does not entitle you to, to be the, the person that the group has to just track down and make sure you're actually doing what you're supposed to do in your homeschool. That That's your responsibility. We often joke that we could all make much more money if we quit our teaching jobs and administering jobs and went and worked at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Yeah, it's we crunch true. the numbers and ain't nobody making minimum wage. It's that's just, right. there's, this, is, this is not something where they're now making sure that you homeschool. Yeah. You should be homeschooling because you have chosen to homeschool because you feel that that is what is best for your family. Mm-hmm. And um, maintaining that right. ownership is super important. Okay, so let's shift to the to the class part of it. A lot of people put kids <laughs> even in large co-op classes that if it's not just a really intimate co-op, a, a large co-op can have the same feel as mm-hmm. a day school. So It can. And again, there, communication is key. Mm-hmm. Keeping on top of the syllabus that you're student is working off of checking their grades some some co-op classes have you actually doing the grading and the teacher doesn't Mm. do the grading Mm -hmm. or at least that you're recording that and keeping track of it Um, in our case we do have an online grading system and it's up to our parents to be checking that regularly Mm -hmm. and taking note of those little spots where it says m for missing assignment Um, That's important. And one of my sort of pet peeves because I teach writing classes is it is your responsibility to make sure your printer works and it has ink. (laughs) Because my printer's not working is to this generation what my dog ate the homework Uh, was to our generation. And we don't... it, It adds expense and time if I have to print out something that was emailed to me, which I don't mind doing on an occasional basis. But if the email comes when I'm not Mm -hmm. somewhere where my printer is readily available, then we have the added difficulty of remembering, oh, so-and-so sent me their essay in an email. Now I have to find that email and I have to print that while I'm in the middle of grading other Mm -hmm. people's essays Mm -hmm. and it's just an added irritation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. plus we we're also constantly balancing that dealing with that actual class with the bigger picture of the whole life thing and you know if if you uh, if your printer is out of ink and you were supposed to hand in a hard copy of your paper to a college professor, or if you're supposed to go into a job interview mm-hmm. with a paper copy of your resume because maybe the interviewer 
didn't see your stuff online or just what that's what they ask you to do even if there's not a good reason that they've asked you to do mm -hmm. it you need to do that so some of it is is that teaching that accountability and that responsibility and creativity you know if your printers out of ink you probably have a friend who's who you're going to see that day who might have ink. Who might be able to print Try it for you. Try that first yeah. and get in touch with us if you're desperate instead of as your first uh, yeah. option. You know, it's funny because one thing that I think makes it worse in, in this kind of stuff is because the classes only meet one or two days a week. If you, if you have a kid who's in a traditional five-day-a-week school... Um, they may be dropping balls sometimes, they may be not following through on stuff sometimes, but they are, they are spending so much time focused on those classes. When your class meets once a week and then you have a week's worth of independent work to do on your own, you can just sort of let it fall to the wayside and then it sneaks up on you and then it's the night before and mom is feeling like proud of herself for actually remembering to crack the whip the night before to make the student, oh, you've been procrastinating, come on, get it out there, get it done, you got class tomorrow. But it doesn't change the fact that you had a whole week to, to do this. Right. So, you know, cramming it into a night before and then trying to print it that morning, it's not the teacher's fault. And mm. yeah. Or the classes that meet twice a week, like Kim's mm. Spanish classes. Mm -hmm. it, you still had those two days. Yeah. yeah. Um, waiting till 11 o'clock Sunday night because you have a question on the homework I assigned <laughs> for Monday <laughs> is not going to work because I'm in bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And you've had since last Monday to know what your homework was about. Mm -hmm. So this is not a good time to be asking me those kinds of questions. And then because I go into the school and usually arrive at seven o'clock in the morning, I may not have time in the morning to answer it before class is actually going to happen. So those kind of respecting deadlines, mm -hmm. which is a life skill, because last I noticed, my credit card company doesn't care what happened if I don't pay that on time. <laughs> right. They find me anyway. Right. Um, and the IRS finds us anyway. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So these are some skills that a high schooler should be learning just to survive in life. Mm -hmm. Now, before this starts to sound too overly negative, um, let, let's do a little bit of student participation in classes um, sort of from a positive standpoint. So if you, uh, a lot of people who have homeschooled from kindergarten on get to high school and if they decide to enroll their kid in a class, depending on whether that kid is an introvert or an extrovert, it may be somewhat of a culture shock to now be in a larger class with peers that they do not necessarily know before the first day of class with a different teacher than mom. And this is one of the really great things about having a, a class op option that mm -hmm. is just beyond a tiny little co-op even um, because it builds some of those skills so for our shy kids helping them learn to use their voice to use their words to jump into a class discussion that kind of thing and then for our super extroverted kids coaching them on what it means to help those introverted kids have a safe space so that they can share and not to dominate a class discussion, right? So let's talk about some of the ways that we can equip our high schoolers to go into classes maybe for the first time, set up for success. I just pulled two of them. Uh. Sorry, I, I, left, I left my sisters stunned. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're about to, you know, we're recording this at the time we're recording this, we're about to start a new semester. So, of course, we're doing lots of thinking and praying and we don't yet know our students. And 
And I'm thinking one of the first things I do, I teach languages, students have to speak. And I have had some students in my classes that really, really, really don't like to speak. And I like to speak, so I have to be careful because as the teacher, I could just go on and on and on, but that's not serving them, Mm. you know? So um, I have to do everything I can to make it easy and safe for them in the beginning and then hopefully build up the challenge level. Um, So one of the things I do is I start with really, really easy stuff the first day and we just go around the room so everybody has to have a turn. Sometimes mm-hmm. I let people volunteer or not, vol- you know, choose not to. Um, but we came up with this thing years ago. Um, Sabrina and I have both used it. Is um, we give out participation chips, and each kid, I want each kid to not like potato chips, like poker chips. You know, like they're not allowed to eat them. Though they have asked me to <laughs> give them food and let them eat them as a reward, and perhaps some of them would speak more. Um, yeah. So the way I do it, but it would be hard to count that afterwards. It It would be. That's true. Um, So I give them three chips at the beginning of class, and they sit on their desk in front of them. And when they participate in any way that I decide is chip worthy, um, they are allowed to hand their chip in, and they should have handed in all their chips by the end of class. And then I because because participation is important, that gives me and my TAs a way to have a very concrete objective because I have a pretty good idea in my head. I could kind of, you know, almost arbitrarily or just from my gut, pretty Mm -hmm. accurately grade everyone's participation. But this gives the kids who are tending to speak up a lot a visual reminder like, oh, I've used all my chips, but there are other students who still have chips Mm -hmm. to give. And if I keep talking, they don't have a chance to. And they won't because they'll let me carry it because they would rather let me carry it. So Excellent. yeah, that's yeah. that's yeah. The chips was a really was a really good thing. I know when I was I did a lot of literature classes and we would do a lot of class discussion. And early in the year, um, I would guide it much more intentionally and assertively, but constantly telling the kids, you know, that I'm not always going to ask you these questions. Okay, like you're learning to think in these ways, and as we get farther along in the semester. I'm going to throw much vaguer, uh, open-ended discussion starters out there. And so we're practicing the kinds of discussions we're going to have the rest of the semester. And then you get a few weeks in, and then I would just announce, by the way, you'll notice that I'm about to ask a really vague discussion starter question right now. But you know what to do with it. You know, and it, very, very, um, again, the communication thing. Making it clear to the students, you're learning more than just about the book that we're reading. You're learning how to do a group discussion on a topic. And it was really fun to see. Um, last year, in my C.S. Lewis class that I taught in the spring semester, I had several of the kids through the whole year. By the time we got to about the halfway point in that spring semester, we took away the raise your hand rule completely. And nobody was allowed to raise their hands anymore. We would sit the chairs in a circle. We only had, I don't know, 18 kids or something like that. We would put up the chairs in a circle so they could all see each other. But there was no more hand raising. Now you just had to be paying attention to who was drawing in breath, who hadn't spoken in a while, and who had. And it was so funny. The first couple weeks that we did it, they were like, can't we raise our hands? And I was like, no, I'm not calling on anybody anymore. You can do this. We've been practicing all year. But it's wonderful life skills. Mm. And if you have a kid who has never been in a larger class setting, coach them on that. You know, that that's, that's what's coming. That's the, that's the point. Mm-hmm. Another way to prepare your student for taking classes is just in general 
to teach them respect, oh, to yeah. respect the teachers, to respect the other students. The classroom? The classroom, oh, yes. Yeah, the not leaving things a total mess. Mm-hmm. And another very important skill that should increase as they go through high school, especially for a student that is college bound, is they should be the main person communicating with the teacher, not mom. Oh, yes. They should be asking the questions, I don't understand what this assignment is, or coming to the teacher and saying, I'm having trouble with this concept, say in math, um, and seeking out the teacher because most of us are not planning to go to college with our kids. (laughs) (laughs) Nor do we want to. Right. And if you are, please go back and listen to the episode about heavy equipment and mothering because that's a helicopter mom move if you're going to pack your bag and go live in the dorm with your kid. (laughs) Watch the Goldbergs. It'll help you. So it really is an important skill for the student to learn that they need to email the teacher or they need to go and talk to the teacher if they're struggling or or whatever issue is coming up. Now, the, the one exception we make for that is if a student is out because they're sick, we like to hear that from the parents because mm-hmm. it has happened that <laughs> students decided to walk to Wawa and missed class and, and then later tell mm-hmm. you that they were sick. But, um, you know, as a parent, other important things are get your student there as many days as absolutely possible, not when they're carrying contagious diseases, mm-hmm. and get them there on time. Yeah. It really is disruptive to a class to have a student. If you have one hour a week with a class and a student's coming in 15 minutes late on a regular basis, a they're likely to struggle in that class. Yeah. And it's disruptive. Yeah. yeah. And when, if you, especially if your student maybe only has an hour, or maybe if your student's there tons of time, one of the best ways that you can help your student is to become involved in that community. Mm-hmm. So if you're not already involved in that community, see if you can volunteer. Can you tell I recruit the volunteers at our school? Uh-huh. Um, see if you can volunteer for an hour helping someone do something, whether it's just sitting in a study hall type area, cafeteria area, and and just being with the kids and keeping an eye on things. Is it helping tutor somebody else's kid in an area that you really like to work with? Is it helping clean up? Um, Is it working with the students? Is there some administrative stuff you can do to help some of the teachers or the staff? And that's a great way for you to build relationships with these people who are teaching your kids Mm -hmm. and it benefits all of you. And in so many cases, those people who are teaching your kids are also teaching their kids. Yes. So their lives are just as complicated to schedule and fit in that's and everything right. as any other homeschoolers. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really, that's where my closest friendships uh, through the last 30 years have come from. And that's, you know, where Seven Sisters Homeschool.com came from was, was out of those connections within the homeschool community. And it's... Uh, it's worth a lot. So if you have the opportunity in your local area to be a part of an umbrella school that provides liaison with the state and oversight and accountability, or with a day school or a very large co-op that, um, that is something a little different than, than just a couple of families that you know really well meeting in your living room, um, recognize that it's a fantastic opportunity that it is offering your child the chance for something different than what they would have um, just in your own limited, you know, your own home school. Um, I'm saying that all wrong, but you know what I mean. And also recognize that it's offering you opportunities. 
um, whether you are ever someone who wants to teach other people's kids in a class, you can still become a really vital part of that community and it will be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. And you can equip your kid to become a vital part of that community in a way that will be a blessing to them and a blessing to others. If you have had experiences with um, day schools, umbrella schools, whether they were good experiences or bad, if there are things that you learned from them, we don't really just want you to bellyache about the bad ones, but if there's something you learned from it that would be helpful to all of us, uh, please share it on the Homeschool High School Podcast Facebook page. That's a great place to talk about things and share our experiences. And if you are looking for options for, um, for offering a class, perhaps, in your local group, um, a lot of the SevenSistersHomeschool.com curriculum was developed for the local classes in our area. And while it can be used either independently for a single student working on it or easily adapted to fit a group class. You will find information on how to do that and lots of supplemental ideas for using our curriculum in a group setting. And uh, if you have questions about how to do that, just email us info at sevensistershomeschool.com. So thank you for tuning in today and we look forward to talking with you about other homeschool high school topics on future episodes of the Homeschool High School Podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.